demographic. You're, I, I don't know anything about you other than a brief glimpse of your, your LinkedIn and your website. And so maybe you start with introducing yourself. What do you do? And, um, yeah. How do you spend your time and what do you, what do you do? What's, what's your, what's the moneymaker and what gets you going every day? Yeah, absolutely. So as far as what I do for my job, I, I consider myself a confidant. I'm a, I'm a confidant to uh, female entrepreneurs, celebrities, and influencers. And what do I mean by confidant is like, you know how the major kings and queens always had someone that they went to when they were dealing with something or trying to make a big decision. Mm-hmm. They confided in one person that was like their person that was closest to them. And I'm that person for a lot of really powerful, uh, badass women that they come to me when they're working through something or going through something or want to process something. And uh, we go through what we need to go through and they come on the other side with more clarity and better understanding for what they want and desire so they can go get more of what they want. So that's the job that I do right now. And is it career like specific or you like mix of a psychologist per health specialist? Like what, what's, what's your skill set? Yeah, it's, it's E all of the above. Uh, I started with health, my journey with uh, personal training, and then I got into more internal health. And then uh, as far as like inflammation and and digestive health. Uh, But I've since put those things on the back burner and more uh, have them as uh, a back pocket kind of thing for myself when I need to reference them. But I work almost entirely with the mental and emotional space now with these women. uh, Super cool. And how... My first instinct when you, you say it's specifically to women and you're a good looking dude, like it seems like I just a way to like a incredibly effective way to um, pull in pull in chicks. Uh, but how did you get into like, obviously, that says much more about me than it does you. But uh, um, I am happily married and have a beautiful little girl. So I'm, I'm not pulling chicks, just envious. Um, but yeah, no, no, it's uh, I, I think that's dude, that, that's that's amazing. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting because as I'm going through this, I'm learning so much more about women. So I'm befriending so many more. I'm getting to know more at a much deeper level. And so selfishly for me, it's kind of cool because it allows me to be able to understand women at a deeper level uh, for me and my own intimate relationships. Mm-hmm. So in regard to that, it's awesome to be able to befriend some really incredible women and to learn more about women through the process of interacting with them and then being able to have that for myself uh, to understand more in my intimate relationship. So I, I 100% see what you're saying, uh, and uh, I've definitely gained a lot in, in the regard of benefiting my intimate relationships through this experience. Awesome. Great way to put it. It's a smooth comeback from my horribly insensitive remarks. Um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, awesome. And do you, it's exclusively, exclusively, exclusively with women or, um, like that's just your niche, but you're open to men also yeah. being, yeah, so I, I, I started, I started both, uh, pretty equally primarily starting with mostly men and then more women as of the last year and a half. Uh, but I have decided to niche down to specifically women. However, like you said, there are a few men that, that slip through the cracks. Uh, the men that do, it's mostly men that want to get into coaching. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing this for a long time, and they want to understand how to be able to get into this game and be successful at it. And so the guys that I am coaching are primarily ones that want to learn how to coach, not necessarily the uh, primary confidant, 
demographic that I was referring to earlier. So yeah. the guys that I have are mostly in that space, but it's almost entirely women. I think it's like 85% women right now. Awesome. I guess that's how you got in touch with Mayor. I mean, clicked with Mayor. On a, you guys met on a ski trip? Yeah. Yep. We went on a ski trip. We talked a little bit, and uh, sounds like he's going to be an incredible coach. So I'm May excited to see Mayor's what he's getting into. He's my coach. He's uh, he's, an, he's a great friend and uh, even, I mean, great coach and even better friend. Um, yeah. Mayor, what, what kind of questions do you have? funny is like he was mentioning that like you know 85 percent are women and the other 50 percent are not so much men that he's helping unlock you know specific things that he is with women but way more men that want to become more coaching type and kind of figure out the you know the obstacles and the ways to navigate through it which is exactly you know what you know i was asking kind of questions to keen when i first met him in montana it was exactly those things i was like wow it seems like you know you've figured out a way to present yourself in a way you feel comfortable and influential and beneficial to people and i was like i i that, that was exactly like where i was going through i was like trying to figure out like okay well how do we navigate this space to get there um but yeah i mean we met mckeon did not know he was gonna be on the trip he kind of popped up and i was like okay this is a refreshing face from uh, everything else that's just around <laughs> us um and yeah, we just kind of it off. um the question i specifically had is um working with women specifically um you did mention that it gives you a better, a better understanding of, you know, their inner workings. Um, as like, you know, there's so many books on like men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Like we're separate people. We are, we're living on the same earth, but like a totally different type of existence. Have you like in your, in your, in your recent years of working specifically with women, have you seen like a major difference of kind of obstacles that women have as opposed to men have, whether emotional, whether physical, whether it's success or whether things along those lines, is there, is there like a sex type of difference between the sexes that you like kind of like notice the pattern within? Hmm. That's a great question. Uh, for, for the women, the primary demographic of women that I work with are high achieving women. So what I say is women that have a more difficult time sitting down than getting up, right? There's a lot of people that have a difficult time being motivated, being excited to go for the day, being able to be uh, driven, but the most women I work with are not there. It's the opposite. So they go, 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 make things happen all the time. So they have, they tend to favor more of this masculine energy to them. And so for them, one of those powerful things is being able to step more into a place of being able to be in their feminine energy and be able to attract from that place rather than the masculine push, 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 make things happen, force. And so what I see with most of these women is that they're having a difficult time being able to attract strong masculine men because of their over dominance in the masculine space. And as far as the men that I've worked with, it's kind of interesting. They tend to be a little more passive and embodying a little more feminine and have a difficult time being able to fully, fully have a woman that is more in her feminine. So attracting more of a woman that women that are in that masculine space. So the men that I, that I work with, tend to attract the women that I work with and, and I'm able to, to help them both work through that process of what's causing the more feminine man to attract a more dominant masculine female, which they really don't want. And same thing, vice versa with the women and being able to attract more of a strong, powerful, masculine man, not a more submissive, uh, you know, beta male in that regard. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of like opposites, but both 
have deeper emotional things they need to work through to be able to embody more of their natural essence. For the men being able to step into their true masculinity, working through some emotional blockages is important to do. For the women to be able to step into their true femininity, it's important to be able to work through some of those emotional blockages that they have associated with their femininity. So uh, different cores or uh, different outer layers, but the cores as far as uh, different emotional issues they need to process to work through are the same. Very interesting. Um, wow. So it's, it's almost like it's someone who's like, they've like lived life almost like too much in a certain way. And they're just trying to come back to a bit more of who they are, what themselves are. And they're trying to get back kind of maybe more into themselves, their holistic selves. Um, have you seen like a, a general pattern of like obstacles that people in general are dealing with? Is it, is it relationship? Is it, is it growth? Is it personal being? Is it, is it being okay within yourself? Is it sitting down, like you mentioned? Is there like a specific thing that you've seen um, in pattern, both men or both female or, or male that like kind of you've seen like, they, like, okay, this is what the main thing that's kind of needs to be unlocked within themselves? Is there like a specific like pattern that you've seen with these, um, you know, high influence um, go-getters type people? Yeah, absolutely. One of the primary things that I see with these people is because they're, a lot of them are, at the forefront of going and making things happen. So what I mean by that, they're, they're the, the, the black sheep in their family that's gone above their, their family's programming and gone and done something bigger, right? Or they're very influential and they're leading the way for a large group of people. So it, when you're in that space, there's not a lot of people that you can relate to, right? When you're, when you're sitting at a really, really high-end position where you're, I don't want to say above a lot of other people, but like very emotionally, uh, and mentally advanced, we'll just say in that way, it's difficult to be able to have people that you can relate to and difficult to be able to know if you're on the right track. So it can at times feel lonely. They say people at the top, it can feel lonely. Uh, and so, because they don't have someone that they can really relate to and know if they're on the right track. And so for me, being able to constantly get them to a space where I'm right, I know, I'm in the correct space and not doubting themselves uh, probably is the biggest one. Because like I said, when you're in that space where you're, you're the leader and there's not a lot of people that, that are in that same realm, it's difficult to be able to know if you're always doing the right thing or not. So being able to go into that, that self-doubt that shows up when you are in a leadership position and to be able to say, okay, anchor in, you are doing what you, the best thing possible for yourself and the people around you and continually anchoring into that is probably one of the, the biggest things for the more influential demographic. And would you say self-doubt is um, more present in people who are higher achieving or lesser than your median first percentile, second percentile human beings? There's a, there's a surface level answer to that and there's a deeper answer to that. My, my, my surface level answer to that would be no, I believe everybody experiences some level of self-doubt, uh, whether that you're achieving at a really high level or, or you're not. And getting to that next level requires you to work through some of that self-doubt. But my deeper answer to that is there actually might be a little more self-doubt with people that achieve at really high levels. And, and, and here's the, the caveat to that is their ability to get to these really high levels can actually come from their ability to question themselves and to point the finger at themselves rather than point the finger at the world, 
right? Self-accountability is one of the primary things in being able to get to where you want to be. And a lot of people that aren't high achievers and, and high performers and really push themselves to be the best they can be, a lot of the times they're actually not blaming themselves. They're actually blaming the world. They're saying, okay, well, this is the reason why I'm not there. This is why I'm not there. This person is the reason, right? So right. in a sense of deeper rooted self-doubt, I would say high achievers actually might have a little more uh, in this because they already are very, very conscious of themselves and what they're doing. So because they're naturally a little more analytical of themselves, they can be a little more hard on themselves, which the caveat to that is the reason why they're so successful in the first place. Right. Does that make sense? That makes sense. I mean, I, my, I mean, my intuition is like you're, you're either a psychopath, which means you don't have that self-doubt at all, which I would say that be that, that self-consciousness, that sense of shame or whatever you would call it that would be absent in a psychopath. But then, I mean, at least the people I look up to who are high achievers and not just high, like, that seem to live meaningful, purposeful, like, well-accomplished, highly responsible lives, they seem to be bothered more than anybody. Um, like, there's a certain sense of, yeah, like a self-consciousness that is extremely powerful. Um, yeah, and I was wondering if you see that. Well, and you I, said you did. I actually want to wanna play on that because you, you, you said... It's interesting because the, the, the caveat to what you said in regard to not feeling some of that shame, not feeling some of that uh, self-doubt is being a psychopath. Well, there's two ends of that spectrum, right? On one end might be the psychopath, but the other one is divine grace, right? And that's actually- What do you mean by more. divine grace? Enlighten me. Yeah, divine grace, to me, grace is not having a contingency on your ability to feel okay and safe within yourself. And one might call that a psychopath on one end, but I would say on the other end is I'm okay and I got me separate from anything that's going on. I don't need to forgive anybody else. I don't need to forgive myself because everything is just a continuation of where I'm at and where I'm at is okay. And so it's being actually being able to tap into that deeper level of there's not a right, there's not a wrong, there's not a good, there's not a bad, but there's just actions and there's things that I can improve on. And so I actually can improve and move forward and get better at things without using guilt and shame and self-punishment as ways of propelling myself. And that's, and that's really the next level for people that are high achievers is being able to tap into this level of divine grace where I don't have to use being the underdog to motivate myself. I don't have to use self-hatred to motivate myself. I don't have to use chaos, creating chaos in my external environment to motivate myself. I can actually be aligned with myself and my heart and I can move forward in that way without using these pressures and pain and guilt to push myself forward. And right. so that's really the goal for me is getting to a place of being able to embody that divine grace, which isn't psychopath. There is psychopaths where a complete absence of any kind of emotion Right. But like I said, the other end, this is the place that a lot of high achievers have to get to for them to be able to continue to achieve at a high level and feel good about themselves in the process. Because that's one of the biggest things that high achievers miss out on is it's not the success. It's the ability to feel good about their success in the process of attaining right. it. Yeah, Jordan reminds me of um, a line Jordan Peterson said somewhere like as you 
as you go up in success, the people you like, you go up the ladders of the hierarchy of success, the people you compare yourself to are not who you were yesterday. You're like, they're your roommate in college at MIT. They're, they're like Elon Musk and his roommate. Like, that's who you're comparing yourself to. Like, it tends to be that the people you surround yourself with are also high achievers and also like meaning. So you don't really get to see your growth because the people that you're surrounded by are, uh, that you're measuring yourself against tend to come along, come up with you or the ones that don't come up with you tend to disappear. So you don't get to compare yourself to them. So there's a certain, like you're never really satisfied. I mean, there's something I struggle with or I'm blessed with however you want to look at it. Like there's a certain, like it's never it. Like I'm not there. Like, and there's, there's never this feeling of like satiation or satisfaction and almost like, I'm working on being more comfortable without the feeling of satisfaction, like embracing this, embracing the, the fact that I'm on a path or that I'm on a journey. I'm not at a destination. And like when it becomes like the car or the house or the rent or um, or the viewership, like a certain amount of metric as that, which like gives me pleasure, then I'm going to be missing. I'm what I'm like, my metric will be insufficient i'll always be insufficient like mayor you like you you would like to make money and okay right now it's a million bucks and then it's 10 million dollars and until you like it you'll always be leveling up but so you won't get pleasure from achieving anything but there's a certain um desire to like have receive pleasure from the grind the pleasure from the process the pleasure from the impact and i mean I, i can tell myself that out loud but it's a lot more difficult actually feeling that way and thinking that way what do you believe is so difficult about it if there's anything that seems like true to me and like real to me is that like the more i know the more i understand the more i move um like the more the more i know i don't know like there's that like this and the my capability expands my responsibilities expand um like this was uh talking with mayor there was a certain like is there a feel fear is the fear of failure bigger or the fear of success bigger and i always had the metric of it being like a fear of failure um like this is i don't want to fail um but mayor framed it in a way that seemed like he was telling a story about his brother um and they were playing basketball and shooting shooting hoops and mayor's like we're not leaving until you make five baskets in a row and um and okay got one basket two baskets okay started over um one basket two basket and they were how i don't know how you said there that you were there for like two hours trying to make it finally he has four baskets in a row and he's like i'm not gonna make it um like and so I'm like, okay, it's a fear of failure. He doesn't want to disappoint himself. The mayor said the fear of success, because as soon as you make the basket and you make five, now you have to level up. Like you have to now it's ten in a row. Um, like the more like Jordan Peterson, sorry for quoting him all the time, but a huge influence on me. Um, the compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to someone else's today. And if today is tomorrow's yesterday, and I do really well today, and I'm on top of my game, and I'm pushing myself, and and I, I've shown myself what to do tomorrow. I have to do a little bit better and it's exponential. And there's a certain, like, I don't want, like, I don't want to be squashed. Um, I think I went a little off topic, but that's where my mind went. That's definitely one way of, way of being that 
is really powerful. Certainly. I, I take a little bit of a different approach in that for me, advancement isn't always linear. There's different areas and, and, and aspects of life that need more attention at different times. And I understand that when I pour a lot of time and energy into one aspect of life, another aspect of life then wants to be able to come up and rise to that same occasion. So if I get to like a 10 in my business, now I have a desire to want to rise my intimate relationship side of things to that, to that 10. But if I continue to always try to strive to make that 10 to 20 to 40, 80 in this one area, because that's how it is, then it can take away from my ability to be able to bring the other areas up. So that's why for me, I, I, I take more approach of being able to tap into deeper sense of inspiration that actually isn't like, I, I don't, I don't really think about yesterday at all. Uh, to be honest, I more tap into daily inspiration of, of what I'd like to do and where I'm at. And now let's come through a lot of time and energy spent knowing how to create discipline and routine for myself. So being in more of a place of flow, I would say is a, a learned attribute. But when I'm feeling really good in one area, like my business is crushing it, my drive is to be more in a place of tapping more into my intimate side of relationships. So I've, I've not necessarily put my business on the back burner. I just trust that there's things that are working on the back end that don't take my immediate attention. And that there's trust there that things are going to continue to grow when I'm pouring energy now into this place that's more inspiring to pour energy into, which is my intimate relationships. And so I'm really tuned into that changing in where that inspiration's at in different seasons of life. And as one goes up, I spend time in another that goes up and then they'll all synchronistically like rise together. But I'm not thinking about if I did good enough on one yesterday, it's just more so tapping into my daily inspiration. But I see a lot of times is, when we get really good at something, we can over-identify with it. And so instead of then shifting the energy into a different area or realm of life, we'll continue to double down in this one. And eventually when you double down in this one, it crashes and burns because what, you're, what you didn't listen to was the shift in the energy, which is then focusing attention into the other areas that you never listened to. So it's, it's kind of like someone that becomes very physically dominant, right? They, they learn how to lift weights. They learn how to be very healthy in their physical body with how they eat, but they never learn to nurture the mental side where they're able to become scholarly in something and really learn how to access their more mental smartness part of themselves. Or they never end up learning how to get deeper in touch with their emotional side and tap into more of their feelings. And so I think across the board, it's very easy for us as humans to double down into one area of life and really go all in on it and not ever shift because it can feel a little uncomfortable to different areas of life and being able to tap into the energy of, okay, now I want to pour into this. It's scary, but I want to pour into this now because it's going to make me a more dynamic human being and add more value to my life. That's where a lot of people get tripped up on and learning to be able to tap into that voice that says, hey, we're okay here. Let's do this. Let's do this. Is one of the most difficult parts. When, 
so maybe to link what I said to what you're saying, maybe the anxiety or the stress or whatever the 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 sense of lack or self consciousness is not necessarily coming from um other people or f from like this ideal version of myself. It's more like because let's say I got like I'm doing really well in school and like my grades are up and but then like like but then there's this anxiety or dissatisfaction like even though I feel like I'm on the right path like I'm studying psychology and philosophy that's what I would like to be doing but something doesn't feel right and like I have the tendency to oh maybe it means philosophy and psychology is not the right path as opposed to oh like maybe you're just not paying attention to the other parts of your basket that really need to be filled or satisfied like my physical health or like relationship health something like that absolutely absolutely and a lot of the times when we don't listen to that it will show up in the way that, like you just said they'll show up in the way of oh well maybe this is wrong or maybe this thing is the problem but actually when, when eventually if you don't listen long enough that thing that we're using to avoid going to the other areas our brains will eventually demonize which is really, really fascinating to try to get us to stop and go to a different area or create chaos in that realm. That's what I see a lot with the clients that I have. They'll create chaos in their businesses because they're so uncomfortable going to these other areas of life and addressing those other areas. So they'll double down in their business, but eventually it'll crash and burn and our brains will blame that thing instead of just being able to see it as, okay, maybe there's something else I need to be putting more attention and effort into. That's so exactly interesting thought that like it's like let's say you have again what we're talking about whether it's school whether it's success whatever your business whatever it might be pick any topic you wish let's say you have quote unquote an issue or a problem or an obstacle in that field we are so trained at least i am personally i think many of us are like it's totally like okay what's wrong with this obstacle maybe it's too maybe this this um this um what's what they call maybe maybe this jump is too high you know Maybe this barricade is too high. Maybe the barricade is too small. Maybe it's like the colors are off, whatever it is. Like you're so, we're fo so focused on like, okay, well, what's wrong? Why am I not liking it? What, what's wrong with this very thing that I'm having an issue with? And it's kind of like what it seems like we're saying is that like, forget the issue you have here. Like focus on something else, something on, focus on something on the right or on the left that you can maybe, you know, change around your circle and not the thing itself. And honestly, that's a great point. Like, I love that. Like it can be something that's, it can be something in your relationship, something with your wife or your girlfriend or something with your boss or one of your employees or something in your health or something you're working out like and then itself like it kind of sounds like we're, we're we're getting to like a point where like we're it's like everything's connected like mm -hmm. don't negate any side of who you are and what you're doing in your daily life it's all connected in some way there's interconnectivity standing across everything that you are doing right and uh, yeah i just like everything that we're saying seems like these things are connected and someone like un helping understand people maybe can you do this in your in your line of work, like help people understand, like, hey, you're not just this influencer. You're not just impacting people. You have another side to yourself as well. You have your emotional side. Sometimes you have to just sit, you know. Sometimes, I think many times for many of us, it's like just do nothing. Like we're always taught, like do something after school programs, after school, after after school programs. What community you're part of? What are you doing on the side? How many of this training do you do? Do you work out? Do you do this? Do you go out? Do you have a girlfriend? Do you have this? Like so many things you could be doing like we never focus on like what movie you watching what tv show we're gonna focus on like how about just being <laughs> forget about everything else how about you, the fact that you exist now in this moment and nothing else that's around it like we don't give enough enough value to like being okay doing nothing like nothing is a scary word in our in, in our 
in our society, like especially your Western society, doing nothing is like, wow, this is so lame to do nothing. Who are you hanging out with? Where are you going? What are you achieving? What are you doing? It's very like, let's do, let's do, let's do. And like, we always forget, like, how about just being? But yeah, I mean, the main, mm-hmm. the main point I'm, I'm kind of coming out is like the inner. Well, and I want to I I touch on that too, though. Yeah, I, I want to I yeah. touch that what you just said about the being part. It's, it's, it's really fascinating because this is a big, big thing that I dive into with a lot of my clients is that a lot of the times there's not enough incentive to get someone to, to, to tell them, hey, you just, you just got to be more. Like, stop being so busy. Allow yourself just to relax. When their brain's like, okay, well, what the fuck does that do for me? Like, like okay, I'm being, okay, great. What does that do for me? But actually, it goes much deeper than that. And I would say that out of all the things that we do, probably between five to 10% of those things actually contribute to the moving forward and our bottom line of success in our life. So when you're moving all the time, constantly doing a ton of things, 85 to 90% of the things you're doing are just fluff. They're just fluff. They're you just doing things for the sake of you doing them. And so the beautiful part about stepping into some of that nothing that you talked about is that you can start to get in alignment with the things that are actually contributing to your bottom line of success in your business, of success in your relationships, right? It's kind of like with, with, uh, with guys, they, they might be like, oh, well, I do all these things for my girl. I uh, bring her flowers. I always tell her I love her. I tell her good morning. I'm always there for her whenever she needs me. And you're doing all these things. But in reality, the truth is what she actually needs is just to know that you're there. She doesn't need you to overstrain yourself. She doesn't need you to always forego what you want to do for her. She actually doesn't want you to do that at all. But when we're caught in this trap of thinking that we have to do, 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 the more we do, the better the situation is going to be, it ends up leading to chaos. And so stepping into the nothingness allows us to sit and be with ourselves and actually in that space reveals space to see what's actually contributing to the bottom line. Hold on. When I do, when I wake up and I'm prospecting for three hours to all these different countries, well, actually it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because the only people I'm actually getting clients in is is the U S. So why am I reaching out to Canada and Germany? That doesn't make any sense. I'm just going to reach out to the U S of course. Right. So that nothingness creates space to understand what the five to 10 to 15 percent of the stuff is. They're actually contributing to your bottom line so you can remove the rest of the stuff. Have you in your life, Kian, gone through a progression of do, 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 extreme your emotional or physical self to extreme measures and like you kind of like coach, helping people coach and things that you kind of worked on yourself? Absolutely, man. And I, my, my first life, the first life that I lived, I say I've lived three lives, maybe <laughs> yeah, coming up on live during this. Yeah. Uh, during this lifetime. Yeah. So my first life, when I was a professional athlete, getting to that point of being a professional football player, you wouldn't guess now I look like a cross country runner, uh, but I played linebacker. <laughs> uh, I, I played linebacker professionally uh, for a very short period of time. But during that time, that process of me becoming a professional, I got so big. I put on so much muscle. I got 245 pounds. And so, but in reality, my best weight that I played at was right around 230 pounds. I was really fast. I was agile. My conditioning was incredible. But something inside of me was like, no, I got to do more. I got to get bigger. I got I to keep lifting more. I got to keep eating more. 
And for me, that was easy because I knew how to do that. But actually the thing that I was lacking the most was this idea that, hey, I'm the best. I'm the best. And I don't have to do all those things because I'm already a freak athlete, right? And this is the thing with between a lot of like black athletes and white athletes is you can see it as these black athletes like, yo, bro, like I'm the best. I got it. I got the juice. I ain't got I ain't got to do all that. Like, yeah, I work hard, but like, I don't have to do what you're doing. And a lot of times the, the, the white guys are the really hard workers and push really hard and make, and go above and beyond because they're lacking some of that confidence. And now we can exchange some of that right to each other. And now keep in mind, I'm not saying that's like the same across the board for all black and white athletes, but that tends to be the stereotype. Right. It's so like, me, a, I, I, it's like a Shaq and, yeah. um, and Kobe Bryant uh, um, dynamic. Right. It, it, exactly. And so, so for me, I didn't, ha- I should have stopped putting so much effort in and should have just focused on more of, yo, I'm the man. Like I crush it. Like I'm a two year captain division one college football team. Like I, I am the man, like it clearly. And that would have helped me with probably not getting injured in the way that I got injured, which ended my career. So I can't say for sure, but for me, I was like, push, 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 make things happen, make things happen. But I'd already, and this is what I'm talking about with the categories. I'd already maxed that category out. I was big enough. I was strong enough. I should have actually started just to focus on not doing as much and just owning that, hey, yo, I'm the man. So that was what I would say led to my demise of getting injured in football. Carrying that much weight uh, definitely was not great for my body. So that's my example. Um. So with like success or personal perfection being at the seemingly being at the top of the hierarchy, what are those categories that you would, that you've broken things down into, whether it's physical, mental, like what are the categories that you've laid out? Um, I'm not, I'm not quite sure entirely what you're asking. Meaning you said like, there's that, there's that category. There's that part of like, I, I mastered the, the, the muscle I mastered, I mastered my communication skills, like meaning there's facets to being a successful human being that I'd say you could, I would, maybe I'm making an assumption that you don't make, but like a, a, a rule book, your, your seven habits or your, like your, the, the elements of your life that you need to pay attention to. Like for me, I know if I don't have intellectual stimulation, social stimulation and physical stimulation throughout the day, I have a very low chance of having a day that feels good um, versus like almost magically if I just hit the gym and I, and I, or go on a run or go on a bike ride, have a sit down at the coffee shop and talk to a, a random person. And it happens to be an intellectual or st- intellectually and socially stimulating conversation. All of a sudden, like if I can work that into my day, all's good. Like I talked to mayor once a week, like it's like, and then like all of a sudden we fell off. Like it was uh went like a month without talking to each other and and for some reason like wow i'm more depressed but like i realized like that's a key component that i was not paying attention to so i was wondering if you had if maybe you're more systematized than i am like and because you're a coach um you're professional i'm just a a bumbling idiot um but do you have categories that you need to pay attention to to be a successful human being why uh Definitely. I, this is, this is a fantastic question. And what comes up is I, I want to c- naturally categorize people into one or two buckets and learning how to be able to play in the other person's space to me is what creates incredible balance and internal peace, more internal peace. 
And that there's the category of people that I would say are naturally much, much more apt to always put other people first. So their number one thing is helping others, being there for others, being selfless, always constantly wondering if the people around them are okay and putting less attention and effort into making sure that they're self-sufficient and they're independent. Okay, and then there's the other category of people that I would say are naturally much more independent that are much more in this place of, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. I'm gonna make things happen the way I wanna make things happen. I'm not really concerned about how that's affecting many of the people around me because I got a destination that I wanna go to and that's exactly where I'm going. And so for the people that are over here in this category of putting other people first, the people pleasers, really making sure other people are catered to and taken care of is learning how to get alone. Learning how to be okay with receiving when the other person they're perceiving isn't getting as much as they are. And learning how to be able to be self-sufficient where you're not always having to get your okayness from helping other people, but actually feel good because they feel good. Not giving themselves permission to feel good because other people around them are feeling good. Right. And that a lot of times that's, that's a, that's a radical uh, commitment to saying, okay, I can't cater to any of you anymore. I have to cater to myself and my own desires and what I want. I'm going to commit to that. And that's going to create more of a balance because intimacy, a lot of the times isn't an issue for these people, right? That's something they got down, but internal peace and uh, confronting their aloneness is not, and self-achievement is not. So learning how to play in both spaces is really important. For these people over here, learning how to be able to create intimacy where realizing, okay, maybe some of the things you're doing are actually hurting other people, which is actually hurting you. Because the people that you really love, you really love your wife, but you're neglecting her and constantly always submersing yourself in your business and your own personal goals separate from her, right? You love, you love your kids, but you're not putting any attention or effort into your kids because you're always just going towards what you want. Maybe you need to learn how to be able to show love and affection and intimacy for the people in your life. So these people that are always the more independent ones, learning how to be able to be more interconnected and be more intimate with the people close to them. So like I said, most people normally come from one category or another and learning how to play in the other person's space, uh, I would say it leads to more uh, overall completeness and peace. But in the process, probably won't. You'll confront a lot of deep shit that's not going to feel good in the process of being able to embody the other. How do you go about embodying the other space? Meaning, yeah, how do you go about it? Say I'm on the agreeable people-pleaser side. How do I yeah. go about How do so I, I go about it? Yeah. It's interesting. I've, I've actually embodied, I've embodied both. I would say I come from the natural people-pleasing side and learn to be much more me. Uh, and so what, what I did, and I actually did this as a practice because I used to do this thing where I, I'd say hi to everybody. I'd be on a walk and I'd say, hi, how are you doing? How are you doing? And I just had this inclination to just say, you know what? No, I, ca I can't keep expending my energy everywhere. I'm actually just going to put my head down and I'm just going to walk to where I want to walk to and not say hi to anybody. I'm not going to look at anybody. And this is when my business was like in infancy and I was hitting some walls and I'm like, fuck this. Like, I just need to, I just need to put my energy into myself. And I just had this inclination to do it. I did it. And it was so hard for me. It was like, I was like a crackhead, man. Like saying hi to people and talking to people and like making other people's day was like, my, I needed it. 
And so when I wasn't doing it, I felt this like lack. And I felt this emptiness in me. It was like, oh my gosh, like, whoa. Because I got so much of my okayness from the approval I was getting from other people. And if you've run a business, you have to under, you, you know that you can't have success in the business if you're relying on the approval of other people to be able to get you there. You can't, right. you, you, you can't. And so for me, it was so difficult because I literally went to this place of, I can't care about what anybody else is doing around me. My family, you can do your thing. My friends, you can even do your thing. I'm not going to actually not going to check up on my friends all the time. Like I used to, I, I practice that too. Right. And I said, what's in front of me and what do I need to do? What do I need to focus on for me right now? Separate from what everybody else is doing. And it was hard. It was really difficult. Like I said, I felt withdrawals from that, that process. I felt I all it. my loneliness. Right? I, I felt all that. And that's, that's been the journey for me is being able to sink into my loneliness so I can make decisions that are best for me separate from other people, which I'm finding now that are actually the best things for other people, yeah. which Very is good. a whole other conversation. Awesome. Um, do you have a guru, um, a confidant for yourself? Absolutely. Uh, I, I have a few. So I, I, there's one who is not my, like, obviously he's dead. He's passed away, but I, I love, love, love Alan Watts. I've, I've listened to almost everything on that guy. Incredible genius wizard. He's one of them, but I also have one that I do have in person. And so he's a mentor and he does the, the work that I do for me as well, which is kind of cool. I get a two in one. So he's been doing what I do for like 20 plus years. So he helps me work through and process my deeper uh, rooted hurts and beliefs that I have but also is a mentor in the way of showing me how to continually be more successful in this space. Awesome. And yeah, Alan Watts, I mean, most of my exposure to Alan Watts like came from uh, Akira the Dawn. Um, I don't know if you're familiar. He does like lo-fi, like house remixes of like, of Alan Watts, Jocko Willink, uh, Jordan Peters. Like he just takes like clips of theirs. I mean, Alan Watts, everybody puts his stuff to music. Like, you, you can't listen to Alan Watts without, like, a backtrack and beautiful sunsets and stuff going on. Um, an Alan Watts quote that has stuck with me was when it comes to trusting yourself. He says, if you can't trust yourself, then how can you trust yourself about not trusting yourself? Meaning, it's a, it's a logical fallacy. It's like, oh, I can't trust myself. I can never trust myself. Like, in, okay, then you can't trust that voice that tells you don't trust yourself. Um, so you're stuck nowhere. So you have I to start. It was, I, of all his quotes, uh, that one runs through my head on a daily basis. He, he does an incredible job of bring, always bringing you into the, getting you into this thought loop that always brings you back to nothing. Yeah. And <laughs> another one was with... Uh, if everything in the world was exactly how you would want it, like you could press a button, you can have everything you would like at any moment. Um, eventually, you would end up hitting the button that says, surprise me. Um, and uh, like, so in basically pointing out how the world with all its chaos and all its idiosyncrasies and suffering and is is perfect. It is, is, it is how you would end up wanting it. Like you would, you would destroy it and bring it to this place if everything was perfect. Absolutely. And, and, you know, another big thing that I got from Alan Watts, which I, this is one of my main, main practices now is saying, I, I don't care about changing the world. 
I have zero care and desire to change the world at all. And it's interesting because he talks about when you fix one thing, that leaves space for another to emerge to have to fix as well. So when you fix one problem, and you have to handle and deal with another. And so it just ends up being this massive loop of fixing problems that come from fixing problems. And so being able to let go of responsibility for the world and being able to tap into your own deeper sense of inspiration, and as a byproduct, maybe creating impact and influence on the world, uh, that's a much better way to go about it because there's this, I know there's this huge like thing with uh, the entrepreneur community and self-help and like, I want to change the world. I want to change the world, but I don't, I want to change the way this quote said. Some people say, well, if you want to change the world, you change yourself. But I don't, I, I say like, can I swear on this? I don't know. You can uh, say yeah. and whatever you'd like to say. Okay. And all you'd like. Yeah. I, I, I say, I say, fuck the world. Okay. I'm tapping into my own inspiration, my day-to-day inspiration of what I want to do. And what you'll find through me doing that by looking at my track record and the people that come across me is that they substantially change. And the more I tap into my own inspiration and I forget about the world, the greater impact I make on the world. Yeah, it's a, it's this crazy, um, I don't know if catch-22 is the right way of putting it, but there, when you're motivated for something's own sake, the byproduct is much greater than if you just reminds me of a philosophy paper I had to write about in this past week. It was called Moral Saints by Susan Wolf. And she was criticizing the concept of, of putting like the ideal human being as a moral saint, because by pursuing moral sainthood, it first off, it's extremely demanding and it diminishes your ability to pursue any interests or any value or any hobbies or any like, um, and you would end up being a very a high, a very unattractive person by pursuing that. And it's almost like if you just, pers- and she offers as the flip side, pursue personal perfection. And the consequences of somebody who's pursuing personal perfection will be net also, like it happens to be, will also be better for the world. Meaning I, what I find funny is there's always this need to pitch how in the end of the day it will be better for the world as opposed to being like, screw the world. Like just only... Like, I don't, even if it has zero benefit for the world. Um, so I, my feeling is, is as human beings, we are social and no matter how much we turn off the outside world, we at least need to know somewhere that it's providing some value to somebody other than myself. Otherwise, mm-hmm. like, so I'm wondering how, like, how you draw that line. Am I, like, being a narcissist and just pursuing self like hedonism and pleasure and whatever makes me feel good and providing value like because you use the term providing value like to who like and i i do believe providing value is is the ultimate aim but by pursuing it we end up not not providing value Mm -hmm. i think we can merge the two i think i can be living a life, pursuing my own deepest sense of desire and be providing optimal value. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think they can be and should be one and the same. So are you positing that the human being's natural desire is ultimately good or valuable? Like my internal desire, if I just tap into it, is that which is valuable and good? 
as opposed to something that I need to change. Like it, like the idea that I'm not listening to myself. That's why you're doing all these evil things. Like there is no evil in the world. There's just ignorance. Or, um, and if you were just to be, become unignorant about who you are, then then you would be maximally valuable. Is that what? Is that what? Oh, I rephrase that, the question. What I please. think you're asking. Yeah, um, go for it. Is it meaning this? Is it that? Is it that meaning like we have a? Meaning we 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 already have this good in us. We just have to avoid the obstacles to get to it, and by avoiding distractions and just getting into it is going to unleash it. Or do we have to bring it from outside of us into ourselves? Is that what you're asking, Mandy? I mean, is it a passive or is it an active? I mean, is it an active seeking for that thing that I'm trying to get? Or is it, no, more passive, ignore all the things you're trying to get and just let it come sit into you and it'll manifest itself from within that. I Meaning, it's the difference between being passive or being active about it. Uh, that's a, a good question. I don't know if I would change being passive and active. I just, I, I'm skeptical as to if I were to just pursue that which I find pleasurable and good, that would actually provide value. Like, maybe I'm more twisted than most, but like it, to me, it's like I'm not. I'm not get, you, catching the jump. You, have you ever have you ever lived your life in a pleasure pursuing state, or have you primarily lived your life in a state of considering and making sure that other people are taken care of and have received value from you? So I would say until about. 20 years old I pursued a pleasure-seeking life and I still attempt to but I it's difficult having responsibilities that are like real like that seem like more tangible than anything else like being a dad and being a husband like that those are anchors or inhibitions I mean I th believe ultimately ones that would allow for further growth and further development but um, it can definitely feel constricting at times and like I, I believe that I like in order to pre be the best husband and to be the best dad, I need to figure out how to be what I need. To, I need to satisfy my, what I feel makes me inadequate or I need to be fulfilled. I need to have meaning. And like that means I need to take care of myself first. And because it's like a trickle down economics. Like if I like if I am optimal, then I will it'll it'll trickle down. But if I'm not optimal, inevitably, it'll just crack, burst and pop. So I'm, I, I, I think I totally agree with you. I just would like to hear how you articulate it. Each person has a divine path separate from what they believe the path is or should be. And for me, the goal is tapping into that self-inspiration that I don't exactly know what it is entirely, but a lot of it has to do with letting go of what we think that it should be or that it needs to be. And when we can let go of what we think that it should or needs to be, it allows us to be okay with what is and create space for improvement. Instead of improving from a place of needing to have to improve. So this is a really, really 
deep question that is entirely circumstantial to the person. So I can't give a, you need to seek and pursue pleasure or you need to put your own self-interest aside and start thinking about other people. If there's a problem with your life and you're not happy with it, if you're open to receiving some other information to shift and change it, it will emerge, but pressure and force, I don't believe are the best ways to do that. I'm with you. I, I, what, what you just said, maybe as opposed to thinking of what could like should be and needs to be like, take a pause and think about what could be. And I, I feel like there's something about that phrasing of it. Like what could be like, as like, and it's not, it's not a, it allows it to be uh, internal like vision as opposed to one that's a judgmental vision or um, and like I'm, I have some type of external responsibility towards like what could be. And that, that is a question I've been trying to ask myself, like, like what could, what could life look like? What, what would you like it to look like? What would you like tomorrow to look like as opposed to what should it, what, like, what does it have to look like? Yeah, absolutely. And you know what's interesting? Because you mentioned at the beginning, too, you mentioned something about being able to be okay now and also be able to push and strive for the future. So uh, us pushing towards an idealistic idea of ourselves takes away from our ability to be happy now. But I think the beautiful combination, similar to my ability to pursue personal desire and also make that be the best interest of other people. I believe it's 100% possible because I live it to be good and happy and okay now with where I am and live in excitement for what's to come. Like that's, that's entirely possible. Like I can be present here and now be, and be excited and be stoked for what's to come. And I think that comes down to an ability to recognize each day. I, I see each day that comes as extra like every day is a cherry on top to me every day is a cherry on top like i'm like holy shit i've already lived so much life i've done a lot like whoa i get to do another day i get to do another day and it might be kind of cliche but that's that's how i see it like i don't i'm not i don't think i'm trying to see it that way but that's how i see it and I don't have this idea that, well, I haven't lived out my purpose yet. I haven't uh, helped enough people. I haven't done the things that I want to do. I don't, I really don't care. I don't, I don't care. Like I could die tomorrow. I could sit here and say to you, I'll die tomorrow. I'll die tomorrow. And, and there's nothing that that brings up in my body. And getting to a point where we're not afraid to die tomorrow and we let go of this idea of fulfilling our purpose or our destiny or any of that stuff, you're going to have a hard time being able to find a little more peace now. Um, we three times a day, um, in the morning, noon, and at night. In our morning prayers, one of the things that goes on, I'll say in Hebrew, it's called Ezehu Ha'ohev Yomim, Ezehu Yisadik Ohev Yomim which literally translates into 
who is a man who is like um, the elixir of life is the way it's translated. Like who's the one who's like holding on to life? Who's the one who's got like the golden nugget of life? Who's living in and being there? And who, who's the one who's living the life? And 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 the and the sentence continues and says, it's he who who is looking forwards for good. Which to me, when I first thought of it, I was like, what does that even mean? Like it wasn't it, it wasn't like a, it was a present state of looking for the future and being excited about it. Like I think you mentioned in the beginning of what you were just saying, like excited for the future like you being your best now is you being excited for what is for what might come at the same time being in that moment but for me when i first understood that i was like wow like and and i, and I looked back in my own life and i was like 100 percent. like when i feel most enjoyed in life when i'm most excited is when I'm excited for something that's going to be happening in the future where it's a month out two months out with, with our trip to montana like that was like i love like i'm not a typical planner for months in advance i kind of like go with the flow but i realized like after that trip that like I had three months to be excited for that. And like every single day that got closer and closer was a, an exciting day because I got closer to that thing that was happening. So in my personal, I'm trying to set more of those like things for the future to be excited for because I realized that like the excitement for me, like my present state now is better when there's something to be excited for in the future wise. I agree. Absolutely. I have another question for you, Kian. Um, you did mention that in the beginning that a topic can get lonely. Your service mayor, at least for me, is skipping. Can you guys hear me? Yep, there you go. So you said at the at the um, top you can get lonely. Right. We're talking about like at the top, like one of these seems like one of these people that you that the one of your clients, a thing that they have um, a hang up in is that they feel lonely, like they, they can't compare themselves to people. They're they're not sure, you know, where they're where they're at. Do you feel like that's a general thing over the ten years? Um, or it's kind of new to our civilization, to new to humanity, that we feel more lonely than we have before. No, I don't think it's new. I think it's been around for a long time, but it just happens to be that now more than ever the capacity to feel lonely might be a little higher, right? Especially when it, when it comes to actually having a lot of success. Kids that are 22, 23 years old are retiring, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're, they're not having to work towards and pursue something. And what's left is your feelings and using money, using success to block out and feel certain feelings can be a very effective thing. This is why a lot of our parents never went through the process of working through their emotional shit because there wasn't space for them to really have to. They were surviving. They were trying to pay the bills. They were working all the time to try to make a family dynamic work, right? And so now we're living in a time where that's not really necessary. And success is happening much sooner. And independence is happening much sooner. And so we're forced to confront that which is left over because we're not blocking it anymore because we're being fulfilled in the financial department and the success department. And so it's becoming more apparent, right? More freedom doesn't mean less problems. It means that the problems move from one thing to another. Like I was referring to earlier, talking about the Alan Watts of when you solve one problem that leaves space for another. Well, we've been able to solve in the United States, a place of creating more freedom and financial success and business success much younger, but that creates more space for our deeper emotional familiar baggage to emerge because we just simply have more space for it to come up. So 
I think there's more time and space for it to emerge. Not that it's more for the sake of being more now, but just simply because we have much more capacity for that to bubble to the surface because the amount of space and time that we have now. Would you say that allows us to get to, like, it seems like we're going to, we have to deal with the issues that like almost really matter. Like the real, like the really good questions about life. Like obviously how to make money, how to be successful, that gets everybody going. But like for me, at least though, like, that question of like, what would you do if money wasn't, if physical health and money weren't two things that you're pursuing relentlessly? Um, like if you, that was opened up and then the, and you had all the time in the world, um, which we do. And I, those que- I mean, I feel like we're I mean, obviously the, with the death of God and um, as Nietzsche put it in the absence of top down meaning and us creating meaning structures and value structures as opposed to like receiving them. There's immense amount of value, and obviously you see it in everybody being religious about whatever it is they're religious about, like whether it's masks or social justice or conservatism or um, liberalism. Like everybody, everybody becomes, or like everybody's grasping religiously at at their at like for answers of these. I think the real deep meaningful questions. Um, and I was wondering what what do you think? What do you believe is the meaning of life? What do you believe we're, you're here for? And then maybe you can take that out to what we're here for. Mm. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> See, but what, like, what comes up and what I deeply 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 feel might be two different things yeah, yeah go with what comes up and then yeah that's we're on a podcast yeah. i'm not asking you to write your thesis yeah good uh i i would say i've i've let go of meaning like i've let go of having to have purpose like i think i think purpose actually confuses things for people i think it can be great in the beginning phase of life with development to have something to look forward to, but eventually all roads lead to nothing. They do like, like the mere, like faith is letting go. Like pure trust is letting go. And if I really believe in something greater than myself, to me, it's letting go of their needing to have to be. <laughs> like I let go of purpose. I don't need purpose to justify my existence. I don't need to know that I'm pursuing my purpose, know that I'm justifying my existence. I don't need to know there's something in the afterlife to justify my existence for being here now. And it might feel like there's some gloom, gloominess to that, but for me, it's actually liberating. And it it actually takes off another layer of pressure that's there to be able just to live. But why just live? What's why like meaning just to be as comfortable as possible? That's the aim, like to be as unbothered and comfortable as possible as possible. And see, so so you're you're trying to find an answer for something that doesn't have a direct. So it's not like so you just live as comfortable as possible, right? Meaning, you're, you're trying like right. I guess I have an assumption that there that you do so, find meaning in somewhere. Like almost like I don't believe you. Like, where are you finding your fulfillment and meaning? You, okay, you found it in being comfortable and not bothered. That's, I, I'm projected. That's Idiot. most likely what I projected. Right. And so, so what happens is it just emerges. 
and a lot of people, like when we let go of these labels that we have to justify our existence, I'm Kian the coach. My name is Kian. I'm a former football player. I am Christian. I am this. I am like, when we let go of those labels that we have to justify our existence, really at the foundation of it, there's a sense of liberation that emerges, but it's going through the pain of separating from being identified with the labels. And it might be difficult to, for people to grasp or understand, but that's where liberation comes from. The more I go into separating from needing the labels, the more liberated I become in pursuing my deeper sense of heart desire. And my, my connection with my greater sense of heart desire emerges as I let go. So it's a, like Mayor put it, a pat, this is, it's letting go as opposed to do it. It's interesting. I mean, you market yourself as a success. I mean, success, I'm confident, but on LinkedIn, it was like a success is a word that to me is associated with the opposite of let it go. It means not letting go almost, um, but you're framing it in a way well, that I like it. Is, you got to meet them where they're at. You got you, you to give them what they want to be able to really. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You got yeah. Exactly. You can't. Marketing is. And, and key. here's the thing too. And here's the thing too is I believe pursuing earthly success is a very powerful thing to do in our time on Earth. And I want the people that I work with to have unlimited success. And I want them to get to a space where they have space to have thoughts emerge that they otherwise wouldn't because they were constantly pursuing. Because in that space of the nothing emerges greater levels of truth, then I can facilitate that for them. Right? Mm -hmm. When they get to a place of, holy shit, I've created incredible success for myself in these different areas of life, and there's nothing else. Like, what, what, it's not what I thought it would be. I say, okay, great. Let's talk about it. Awesome. Because a lot of the time, to get to that place of letting go of the labels and nothing, it comes from actually pursuing greater levels of earthly success, which is right. a, f a fascinating thing. You know, I had another question in specific of how people um, in your line of work do work. Are, did, is it primarily like you just said, let's talk about it, or is it let's do something about it? And are most of these people doing, or are most of them talking, or most of them feeling? How do most of your clientele per se um, kind of work on their thing or is it case specific or is it a general because personally for me like talking like with something i need to get through it's talking like it's my talking happens first and then my doing like inevitably occurs after um is it mainly a talking or are you setting like specific goals to reach or is it like being okay with it what kind of like um therapy i would say would you use with your clientele is there like a general therapy that you've developed that you kind of use and plug in plug out to clientele yeah uh the the doing is last doing is a byproduct so we start with talking and through the talking emerges emotion so talking emerges feeling and through deep submission and pressure down into the feeling emerges nothing which inside of the nothing emerges action right and that's okay. the beautiful part like almost like clockwork I could take someone through an emotional roller coaster, bring them out into nothing, which emerges inspired action. Driven by nothing, not caring, not thinking, not judging, not like 
What do you mean when you say nothing? The the no thing, the space, right? You done the Joe Dispenza's like meditations, like the space, right? Once there's been an incredible release of emotion, right? Purging of that emotion emerges, right? You you start here, you go down, down, down into it, down into it, down into it, down into it, down into it. You feel it and experience it, and you come back up and out of it. And on the other side of that purging experience emerges nothing. It's a space. It's I'm not thinking about anything. I'm just here. I feel calm, feel peaceful. Oh, they got some snot coming out of their nose, like some tears coming down their eyes a little bit still. Nothing. Say, okay, we'll just stay right here. Okay. And we marinate in the nothing. Okay. And through the nothing emerges space for inspired action or heart led inspiration to emerge. Maybe something and then emerges. Is Say that again? As in between the nothing and the emergence, um, between between those two, between the bridge that connects those two, is that bridge what you believe a inner thing that is within each person, or is that a manifestation that occurs from the work that's done from beforehand? Uh, I believe it's accessible in each person, but unfortunately, because it's it's it can be a very it's a skill it's an art to be able to tap into that it's 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 complex but it's taught like like geniuses like Joe Dispenza teach people how to be able to tap into it right and it's a learned skill that over time can become second nature and I believe I've tapped into an incredible sense of inspired action inside of myself where I'm really really just aligned with it it's a skill it's a learned skill and would you if you coach somebody or somebody you you help somebody get to this place of being able to get into that nothing to feel the nothing to sit with the nothing and and they stayed there as opposed to it being brought into the world of action would that be a success or or even more ideal than it needing to be come back into this world of action this world of of behavior I mean, like to me, I have in mind the monk who just literally just sits there and is Zen or the person who takes a tab of acid and then just takes another one, another one, another one, doesn't leave his bedroom, but is like, would that be a success? For me and how I choose to live, I want to get the absolute most out of this human earthly experience. I'm not someone that's pursuing enlightenment for the sake of going and living in the forest and doing nothing. I think mm-hmm. that's copping out of the human experience. Okay. So for, for, for me personally, the importance of getting to the nothing is to get in touch with the voice separate from insecurity, separate from programming, separate from labels, separate from this idea of who we believe that we are. So that's the power of the voice to be able to live this human experience at the highest level be able to clear out all the labels, all the shit, all the guilt, all the shame, all of societal programming, and be able to tap into that voice of heart desire is is the goal. Like that's to me is the goal to living on earth. All right. There we go. I got I mean I, I forced it out of you that what it, there is a goal. There is a meaning. There is a purpose. Um I like it. I don't want to keep you longer than you uh, would like to be here. So 
what what are you thinking what are, how are you feeling on time i'm i'm i'm, I'm good i'm good if, if you're good um, yeah. okay and, awesome. and, and i i i appreciate and here's the thing i appreciate you pulling it out of me too that's powerful like a lot of the people that, that i work with can tell people what i do better than i do because i'm just like i'm just here with you got it i really yeah. like i pre i i like that a lot i mean i'm um yeah it's definitely something that like in this ideal world right the ideal world i just sit and have conversations with people and and yeah help shift change my perspective on the world shape it and maybe provide some value and help shape other people's perspective on the world while i'm on my journey but like it doesn't it it seems like like I have this inner nagging voice of like, like you're missing something. You're not dealing with something. And so recently I've discovered, like I've th been at doctors and they thought maybe I had Crohn's. Oh, you don't have Crohn's. You have some type of inflammatory bowel disease, like meaning. And then, it, and like, I, like, I just thought like, okay, my stomach hurts, like whatever. Like, um, like, and it was probably going on for years. And then I, now in the hindsight, knowing that there's something wrong, right? Internally, it's like, how much is that screwed with? my gut meaning not just my physical gut my actual gut my instinct um and like how much right that how much can i be trusting myself how much uh like how much of the vo how much of the self-talk that i've had over the past six months or year has been like polluting as opposed to valuable um yeah so this is a very good conversation for me and you know man that's the power of having someone to or a series of people that we can bounce off of to be able to continually tap into that. You know, I get off track. Absolutely. And that's why I have people in my life to be able to bring me back to that place. A lot of the times it's permission because it can be scary as fuck to follow heart desire, man. It's like, Oh my gosh, like what? Like this, like this right here, like this is it right here. It's like, whoo. And here's the thing. Heart, heart desire doesn't have to be big, extravagant, uh, Superman saving the world shit. Like, dude, I, I had a, I had a heart desire a month ago when I was in Brazil to get a tattoo without having to think about it at all. Cause I, I'm a natural thinker. I'm like, how's this like 50 steps down the road future? How, how, will I want this? Will I not want it? And, and everything started because I, I had two weeks left in Brazil. I was like, I, I just got to call my, my tattoo artist. I did it. I didn't know exactly what I was going to get. I said, Hey, you have an opening. And she's like, yes, I do. This is the day and time. I said, okay, it was a week from then. I didn't know what I was going to get. Even when I was in the Uber on the way to get the tattoo, I had an idea and we drew up the whole thing in 15 minutes when I got there. Epic. I love it. And just got it. I didn't have to think about the future of it. Didn't, didn't want to think about what, like what it would be like and just committed to that like that. A lifelong like commitment like that. And it's just like power. That's power. There, there's power in chosen ignorance. Okay. Mm -hmm. that, that's a big lesson right there. Power in chosen ignorance. Okay. Because guess what? Having what we really want and desire doesn't come from this linear plane where we say, if I do this, then that, this will happen. That can only take us so far. Because in the quantum realm, like the, the, there is no direct understanding of cause and effect. That's right. that's trying to play God, and I can't play God. Right? 
All I know is my heart inspiration. And if I try to let go a million other directions, try to figure the whole thing out, I'll get lost. So that chosen ignorance of tapping into that heart inspiration and saying, I know maybe this thing isn't this because of all my previous understandings and my own associations with it, which are skewed as fuck, (laughs) right? Only based off my perception of my understanding, I'll get all out of whack. So there's actually genius, my, my idol, Forrest Gump, <laughs> right? Yep. I could talk about that. That guy had an incredible life, right? incredible life, genius, and he yeah. wasn't considering anything. Life's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Right? So a lot of the part of getting really intelligent and smart and extremely spiritual, a lot of it ends up being letting go of all of it. <laughs> Right, we that, like that, that's what that's it. We wor- we worship right. our conceptions of reality as opposed to worshiping reality, like um, our projection. Like we, like in um, and you're a Christian, you said, or not that we have any labels? No, okay, I was. whatever. Okay, so what? I used to identify with it. So in the Old Testament and um, in the Torah, there is the the story of the golden calf, and right, so. God says to Moses, your people are doing shenanigans down there. And Moses is like, what do you expect from them? Like, meaning, what do you mean? Of course they are. Like, they're just, they were just released from slavery. They're, like, of course they're, of course they're up to nonsense and doing debaucherous things. Um, and then Moses comes down. Um, after, like, warding off God, comes down holding the tablets. You can imagine, like, what these tablets created and carved by God, however they look. Um and then he sees them dancing around the idol. Um, and when he sees them dancing around it um, and celebrating it, that's when he, like, um, like he drops it. Like, he, like, when he tosses it, when he gets on God's side. And the way I understand it is when he saw that they, not that just they had their own projections, but when they were dancing around their projections, circling it, and worshiping their own projection, um, that that's, like, you, that, we can't work with that. Um, and so it took a breaking and a shattering of the tablets and the rest of history of picking back up the pieces. But, um, yeah, that's cool. See the celebration of like your projection. Like it's, you'll, you'll have projections and that's yeah. fine. It's human, but don't start celebrating, you know, your projections of, uh, you know, where is it happening? I mean, I'm thinking of a scene right now in the big short where like these two kids, they finally figure out they're going to be, they're going to make tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars because the stock market's going to crash and they know it's going to crash and they're dancing the fact that they can become millionaires. And the guy who their mentor ends up being Brad Pitt in the movie tells him, he's like, he's like, stop whatever the fuck you're doing. Like, do anything, but don't fucking dance. That's exactly his line. Like, do whatever you want, but don't fucking dance. Like, millions of people are going to lose their jobs, their career, their lives, their life savings. You guys can become millionaires. You guys can become, become millionaires, but don't fucking dance, you know? <laughs> exactly, you know, it's exactly that same exact thing. Like, okay, yeah, you might get it, but don't, don't start, don't start like parading in the, in, in, in your perceptions. You know. So, what when did you grow up Catholic? In fact, I can go into the religious realm because that interests me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! 
cool. <laughs> your your audience most certainly will not hear this. Like, let's just put it this way: you can be comfortable. Like, like, like no, I, I hope they do. I've been wanting to talk about this. Okay, okay. So then, great. I meaning I like I'm literally at the ground floor. Like my my initial audience is gonna be like good friends, family, people I bumped into who told me I should have a podcast, and it's gonna start there. Like meaning it's just really um um my my heart's desire is this and you're helping me get started so speak as freely as you as you would like yeah i uh, i grew i grew up uh i would say protestant christian not in the catholic church more of a a, a looser uh, ex, uh, accepted version of christianity so that's where i come from grew up teaching teaching sunday school uh, my family's all heavily involved in the church and um Something always felt disconnected for me. Do you know what it is? I didn't is? know exactly what it was. Okay. Sorry. Um, I, yeah, I, I, at the time, I didn't know what it was. But I always – something I felt disconnected. There would be the emotional high that would come over me uh, a lot in certain moments. But then it was fleeting, and there was a disconnect. And um, I moved to Miami out of South Dakota and got away from that and decided to let go of it. And it, it was a lot, and there's still parts of me, I'm sure, that I'm removing of, of that label. But yeah, I, I decided I wanted to let go of it. And uh, a lot of, and, and f through that, realizing that a lot of the reason that I held on to it for so long wasn't because this like divine truth was in me, but actually a fear of going to hell, right? Mm -hmm. which, was a, which was a fascinating thing. And um, so you no longer believe in hell or are you just not afraid to go there? Not afraid to go there. All right. Okay. Which, which, right, which we can find through that process actually really isn't a hell. And, think, and, and many people that live in this place of thinking only heavenly, the hell is so bad it's confining them and it's restricting them and it's actually preventing them from experiencing joy that they actually would like to experience. But because their life's lived on this shaky balanced platform of as long as my relationship with God is okay in the form of Jesus being like the only son of God and that it, it's actually taking away peace and whether they realize it or not, there's shame, there's guilt, there's fear there that's running their lives that they're not even aware of. Right. And and it's there and it's our perception of God, not necessarily what God actually is. And it's it just made me think of like the road how, to hell. How arrogant do you have to be? Yeah, like I know Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, I know who God is, I know what he is to a T, and and I, I know that I'm okay because I know exactly who God is. No, you don't. I have no clue. I have, I have no clue. I have zero clue. And I don't know how anybody actually really could. Right? Yep. And that's why I don't really like – I think it's kind of a cop-out for many people to over-focus on the afterlife and what they believe is the truth for the afterlife instead of actually being able to live here now in this human experience. And similar to the labels that I was talking about as far as using to justify our existence, I believe many people use their perception of the afterlife to not have to fully live here now in this experience. 100% with you. It's like, uh, as a kid, I grew up with this certain narrative of like, I, as when I was 11, 12 years old, I was already 
an, an asshole. Um, and and I just like okay, like like there was this concept um, in Hasidic Judaism where there's and Kabbalistic um, philosophy where the suffering that you experience in this world takes away like sixty. I think there's an actual number they give like sixty nine like times the suffering in the next world like so a moment here you get rid of decades of suffering right and i'm like um i don't like i won't be there i won't feel it i like so give it to me like get rid of the suffering now and uh and and you and give it to me give it to me in the next world i don't i don't want to take that trade um and there's a certain uh this but that like this by living our life, like obviously we would like to have, I like I like Jordan Peterson's right. Like everybody has a vision, and it's not necessarily in the next world of what hell looks like. What's like the this horror, like what your version of hell looks like, and everybody has their conception of what heaven looks like. So meaning as as archetypes, not necessarily of actual as actual places. I mean it's a Jungian idea, where like okay my my heart truth being fully actualized that's heaven. And then hell would be my heart truth being closed and masked and, and just being subject to other people's perspectives and and living a life of, of depression and nihilism like that or in and, and murderousness or self, or suicidal. Like like we all have our conceptions of heaven and hell. Um, and I was talking about this with somebody where like we we have a conception of let's say utopia. Like we would like the world to be an ideal place, but as soon as you pursue utopia goes back into our prior idea of like as soon as you pursue utopia you're just pursuing a a, a conception of what utopia is and, and and it's most definitely not what it actually is and you'll end up squishing yourself and squishing the world um as we see with every single utopian attempt in history um but yeah the the road to hell is paved with good intentions so like i'd like I'm, i want to go to heaven um, but you end up in hell, and I think like there that letting go of religion in the sense of it being a dogma that seems to like as as you experienced it like leads to a hell that you would not like. Um, it seems like a, a good or a lot of or a good a good origin story to what you're doing um, with your time. Mm-hmm. Seems also like a lot of religion, at least the way I think me and Mendel grew up, always came from a point of fear, and that fear was obviously the end goal was hell. And a lot of the motivations behind a lot of the things that we would do is like, do this here now so you don't go there, or do this here now so that you don't feel bad later on, as opposed to like living in the now. A lot of it was propelled through fear, at least in my education, um, you know, the way I was up. And even when I went to Israel and I spent you know years there. Um, and that, that was the main motivator to like, you don't, you don't want to be that guy in the back of like, say the classroom, not listening and just moping around. And you, you don't want to be that guy who's not successful. You don't want to be that guy that doesn't have family. You don't want to be the guy that's not married. It was always like, you don't want to be that guy. I mean, always instilled with fear. And like, for me personally, like that never propelled me to do anything. Like fear is not a propelling factor for me. It, it just isn't like either because I'm not scared or because I don't care enough. Uh, but ultimately like a fear-based like solution or a fear, fear-based motivate me to not do something, you know? And my, my point being is, like, I feel like e- e- with even religion, personal life, 
success coaching motivation like instead of i don't i try as much as i can to not even deal with any of the so to speak negatives or fears like that i just focus on what are you good at what do you know you're good at and kind of push that through and that will lead you to wherever you want to or need to get to like i i do not like hold a lot of like that fear or the negativity or like the dark world the dark side like a lot of buying the sense of actual working now of course you got to go through it you got to live in it you got to be okay with it but i guess just the way i grew up like maybe I'm fearful of being fearful you know maybe i have the fear maybe i'll feel the fear but mm-hmm. in my personal life i've always been more motivated by like success than i have to like you might not succeed therefore let's go succeed hmm. and that, that's powerful man because a good majority of people are living in that place of just being afraid and fearful you know and you've been able to develop that level of optimism which is fucking powerful and incredible and you're a lot of the foundation of many of the major religions are are that like eventually being the fear of fear but just the fear of not being able to go somewhere or be something and that trickles into every area of the other area of life and i want to talk about this too this this element of like hidden inside of christianity uh that i see with many people is like they're very very progressive but then the foundation of it is if you don't believe this then you'll go to hell. So he's a very gracious, he's a very loving, forgiving God, as long as you believe Jesus is the center of it, yeah, right? Exactly. You, you can sin, no, actually, you can sin, right? Jesus died for your sins, right? He died for all of your bad and shortcomings, okay? So that's okay, but, but you still have to make sure you believe he's the center of all of it. And to me, it just like blows my mind because it's just like, that doesn't make any sense at all. If it's really pure grace, like pure divine grace in its essence is the letting go of everything. It is. And, and I'm okay in and of myself, separate from any labels, separate from anything that I'm using to justify my center of okayness. But they're hiding behind this idea that grace is found from accepting Jesus as being the center of your life. But that in itself is a mere act of the absence of grace. So it's it's almost it's like the exact opposite of what Judaism is, um, at least the way it seems to me, is Judaism doesn't care what you believe almost. It doesn't care what you think um, as long as you act a certain way, meaning like whether it's the way, like literally on a day to day, but like whether it's the, the Shabbat or what food you eat or when you pray, like it, you just have, it's a it's a it's a religion of action. Like that's why you can have um, like it's religion of community and action like i mean obviously the belief like when if you have it i believe it will be much more enriching and profound and rewarding um but it it almost it doesn't care what you think it doesn't care what you believe um like and it's like versus and also it i don't know like uh i just always think of the christian like yeah just like there's a certain like i'll like I'll, I'll I'll like I'll accept it. I'll accept Jesus as my savior, um, and give a donation just in case. Um, but then I don't really have to do anything else. So why not? Like you don't have to denounce it. Uh, just just put a coin in the in the bin, and you're good to go. Uh, so it doesn't seem like it demands very much. But so that makes me wonder where the guilt comes from. Like if you don't have to, you just all you have to do is accept something. Where does guilt come from in Christianity? Exactly. That, that's the great question. 
because the foundation and the premise of it is that I'd be pretty fucking scared because I, I would quite, if, if I was questioning my faith with Jesus and I believe that there was the true heaven and hell in the traditional sense, I, I was scared shitless. I was like, Ooh, if my, if my relationship is shaky with Jesus and God, then that means like, I'll go here. Of course there's the guilt, right? Like, of course it is. And it's, it's not guilt for something outside of themselves. It's guilt that selfishly they won't get to go to the good place, which what kind of relationship is that anyway? If that's my relationship with Jesus and God is this like fear-based of like, I do what I have to do secretly so I can make it to that place. All right. And that's even, it's it's not just fear-based, even the positive base of it is like, I'm going to, it's like, imagine, forget God, like um, my relationship with mayor is like, I'm going to give mayor certain things because he's going to give certain things back to me. And if everything was reciprocal um, to me, even if it was not fear-based, it sounds horribly unideal. It feels transactional as opposed yeah. to, you know. yeah. And, and when we break it down, it seems like 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 getting out of it and away from it, it. To me, it just seems so obvious now. But when you're in it, and that's like, and you believe that your entire existence and being okay here on this earth, and your okayness after your time is based off of believing something, it's very hard to even wrap your mind around some of these ideas. Right. And, and, and it's, it's really unfortunate. Have you um, read any of the existentialist philosophers like Sartre? Um, like spent any time they, so him in particular, I haven't read a lot. Um, but he, the existentialist idea is, is that he brings it down to essence, existence, wait, existence proceeds, um, um, proceeds essence, meaning you first exist in the world, like without any baggage, so to speak, and you are whatever you create yourself to be. Um, and he brings up um, quotes Kierkegaard and like how even if you have somebody telling you this is the truth, this is the will of God, and forget about that. Let's say you're Abraham and you have God speaking to you, right? Saying, Abraham, go take your son, your only son, the one that you love. Um uh, as a human being, you're, you're forced, like, we're so free that we're forced to first ask, wait, is this just a delusion? Am I hearing voices? So how do you even know that's God? And then your second question is like, wait, am I even Abraham? Um, so in the end of the day, like, no matter what received wisdom or insight that you have, it is up to you to make the choice to live by it or not live by it. Um, and it, it only has value and meaning to the degree of which you've taken it into account to the degree which you made something of yourself or done anything like like uh, i thought that was a like super powerful yeah you you man it's incredible to hear how much you've learned and taken the time and energy and effort to really pour into understanding some of these things i want to say that that i'm working I'm working on now, I feel like I've been a consuming human being and observing human being for a little too long. It's the impetus for the podcast is now start to um, provide value and create. Like there's the, oh, this has been this fear of like, okay, I'm, what am I going to, I'm, I'm going to sit up here. Someone's going to listen. I'm going to waste their time for an hour. Like, who am I? Like, I need the degree. I need the something like to validate that I'm sitting here talking or that you should listen to me. Um, so I'm yeah. working on uh providing value as opposed to just taking i'd say screw all that 
what is it, Tony Robbins, that he says uh, he, his, his degree is in results. I think it's super badass. That was super cool, him saying that, right? And really, like, so much of it is just permission that we can give ourselves to pursue what we want to pursue, right? This idea of you wanting to just be able to have these amazing conversations and pull things out of people like you've done with me today, incredibly, like all the other stuff about your brain saying, oh, well, you know, am I giving enough value? Do I have the certifications? Do I have the knowledge base? Blah, 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 blah. Like that's all fluff. It's all fluff. Okay. And I also want to say this. I also want to say this is that just because you give yourself permission to pursue what you want to pursue doesn't mean you're not actively getting better. That's also a superpower, right? I can sit here and say, I'm the best coach in the world. I feel that I'm the best coach in the world. And I'm also open to improving, right? Like you can be an incredibly intelligent person that has a lot of value to give that you're excited to share. And that people need to hear regardless if they, if you think it's valuable to them or not, and you can get better. That's the beauty of it. It's not like this, like, okay, now I am the expert. Now I give myself permission to go all the way in, right? No, it's the belief, which I was talking about with the football part of it for me, right? If I embodied some of that deeper level of belief of like, yo, I'm the best, like I'm the best. And like really allow myself to feel that instead of living in this place of like false humility and like, oh, but I always have to be getting better. I can't say those things. I can't feel that yet because I'm not the best, right? All that blah, blah. Which got in the way, I think me being able to actually go as far as I could have, it took away from it. So really sinking into the energy and the idea of, yo, I can step all the way into what I want to do right now. And I can keep getting better. Awesome. Um, I want to ask you, you said you had three lives, right? First was your football career. What? And now you're in your coaching or confidant career. What, what um, life, what was your second life? Ooh, the, the transition between those two. What was my that Tarzan like? My Tarzan phase, my lo- long hair phase. Dude, it was, a, oh my gosh, man. That was, you want to talk about the nothing. Like, I did whatever I wanted to do. I grew my hair out super long. I was a stripper for three months. Like, Bro, I did like, I, I just, I did whatever I wanted to do, anything. Because there was an identity of who I believed that I thought I was back when I was living my first life, you know, being a very inspiring person in South Dakota, where I'm from, playing football at the level that I did, breaking out of that idea and moving to Miami. I was like, let me just be whoever I want to be in every moment. Screw it. Here we go. I smoked more weed. Did a lot of shit that was like interesting. I started modeling. I told my before I left Miami, I told my cousin, I said, if I ever post pictures of my shirt off, you can slap me in the face. Now I do <laughs> underwear modeling. <laughs> <laughs> How many slaps have right? you got? Oh, none yet. I'm hoping he doesn't remember. That's what I'm hoping. <laughs> uh, but now it's just like it's it's permission to let that that second life was just like a lot of just blah, like I stopped working out really hard for a period of time. I just was doing yoga. It was just a lot of like the antithesis to the first life. It was like kind of the opposite. It's so interesting to me how everybody, like the antithesis to whatever, there is like a, 
an archetype or a like the long hair, the drugs, the sex, like there's a there's a certain place that we all go when we're uninhibited. Like that looks very similar across human beings. Like if you were to just to let things go and yeah, just an observation. It's like meaning like success seems a little bit uh yeah, there's like the behaviors and okay, they wake up on time, they work out, they're good looking, they're social. Like but like like the the it it takes a lot of active effort to get there. But while like when you just let go, it seems like we all fall into this base human that looks very similar to the guy next to us. Um, wondering why you think that is. Oh man, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Best answer. I have no idea, but, 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 but you're right. Like you're right. And that's where it's, it can be scary because so much of religion and constructs keep things orderly because we feel like they have to be orderly. But really, if we let go of some of these constructs, there might be a little more chaos. It might feel like chaos, right? When I'm in the middle of like going through my transition where I am um, becoming the opposite of everything that I was, that can feel a little chaotic. It can feel a little scary of like, who am I? I don't know who the heck I am. But through that emerges order. Right inside of the chaos emerges order, and a lot of orders created, a lot of religions created. These constructs are created to avoid chaos. Okay, right. But the be- the beauty of a forest fire is that when it all burns down, something beautiful emerges and grows back up. Right. And so, if we can sit in the the discomfort of allowing chaos, okay, and not trying to control everything and make the world this utopic, glorious place order might actually beautifully naturally emerge right and it's also like if you let the forest fire burn when it happens as opposed to like preventing forest fires as your life same um what inevitably happens as you see in california is you put all this effort into preventing forest fires and all of a sudden there's so much shit that needs to be burnt that now is there's too much of it and when it lights it's just it's incredibly self incredibly destructive as opposed to a fire that will burn and it'll be chaotic, but it'll burn out and allow for something beautiful. Um, this is a cool analogy. What are you thinking, Mayor? I'm listening. There's so much to take in, honestly. You always have what to say. I don't know. Maybe sometimes I'm trying to focus on more and, you know, letting things come in, not just always saying. That's good chaos right here like the the foundation of so much of pain that we experience is our inability to allow and acknowledge and accept the chaos and not just as the individual but as a society and the more fragile we become the less resistant we become to chaos the higher the chips will stack up but the greater the fall will be so that's really the foundation of almost everything that I teach and talk about is permission to accept, acknowledge, go into and not be afraid of the chaos. And if we did that, it'd be great. I have visions. And this is the first time I'm saying this on a podcast of, of me standing in front of people saying, I want you to stand up. I want you to turn to the person next to you. I want you to tell them to fuck off. <laughs> I don't want you to give them a hug. I don't want you to give them a high five. I want you to look at them and tell them to fuck off. Okay. And I want the, you to the person that just got told to fuck off, tell them to fuck off back. <laughs> and I want you both just to be in that. Fuck off. 
You fuck off. No, you fuck off. Okay. And we continually go back and forth and we can have this dialogue where we're, we're potentially hurting each other's feelings. Mm -hmm. And through that actually emerges greater understanding. Like me and my best friend, we, we tell, we, we just say like, we'll randomly mess each other and just tell each other to fuck off. Healthy. And it, it's so funny because there's this like, there's this lighthearted, like playfulness in it. But it's like, what, why? And even the word fuck. Like I, I, I say fuck in some of my Facebook posts and like people, all hell breaks this. I'm like, it's a word. Yeah, well, we're not going to go we're not going to go to how extreme people could be about wor certain words. Um you saw what happened to Joe Rogan. Uh <laughs> Right. And Joe, hey, Joe, he's doing his thing, man. I love he's, it. He's doing he's, his thing. But but really, it's 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 the inability to be able to sit in attention of there being a chaotic situation or we mm -hmm. perceive as chaotic. Yeah. Right? And that's a really cool part about I think about my coaching is that my space is a space where I'm going to say whatever comes up in me to you. And I expect the same from you. And so we might go in, right? We might, we might be going back and forth, bop, 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 but we both know at the end of it, there's going to be something there that emerges greater levels of truth. And unless that emotional buttons pushed a lot of the times it's difficult to be able to create change. That's why talking doesn't always do the trick because there's not an emotional response. When there's an emotional response that a lot of the times can create space for transformation. And sometimes I'll poke the bear a little bit to get that emotional response there to be space for that vulnerableness, that vulnerability, vulnerableness. I don't know if this is a word. Vulner vulnerability. Vulnerability of being in the emotionally naked place. Exposed. Whoa. Instead of having to be fragile like crazy and everybody walking on eggshells, what if we could all just like be openly so, open about things? Uh, it's my personally on the uh, flip side i feel like i'm i'm s somewhat uh addicted to the chaos and the and things not being figured out and things not being in order like and as soon as they seem to like fall into place and be in order i'm like no that can't be it like i don't want to limit myself to that or i don't want to be like that can't be what defines me i can't like psychologists know like anytime i feel like i get my finger on what it is that i'm interested in I also have this self-destructive tendency to be like, fuck it all, because I like, I like the chaos. There's something, I feel more alive when, whether it's anger or upset or chaotic, like there is a certain rawness that is there that isn't, and just feeling good. Is there something wrong with that? It seems to be destructive. I mean, like there's this destructiveness, like I would like to be able to do that and it be constructive in some way, as opposed to destructive. Why do you think that it's not constructive? Like, what have you seen happen in your life to make it imply that it's destructive to you? I turn off. I become less engaged afterwards. Um, which does what to you? When you turn off, you become less engaged. What does that do to you that you're perceiving as negative? I per, I pursue things that I would label as escapes, like to be distracted from my ex my reality as opposed to being present. Like I like the destructive, but then sitting in it, hitting the the nothingness within the destructiveness, is somewhere I have a hard time being. Like 
like I, I don't want to be comfortable, but as soon as I become uncomfortable, I like shut off from the discomfort. What if you could give yourself permission to stay in the discomfort? Because I don't want to make it about the action. I don't want to make it about the action of the chaos that you're creating. Okay, I don't want to attach to that. But I do want to, uh, to, to tap into is you being able to sit in what it feels like in that forest fire. Okay, because you can light the match and maybe you can watch the forest burn. You can walk away and not have to like think about it and then come back later and be like, oh, okay, that was the aftermath. But what if you could sit in the tension of being part of the burning? And I, want, I want you to be in that. I want you to allow yourself to be in that space of the aftermath and staying in it and sinking into it. Because actually you avoiding that might be the thing that's preventing you from shifting and changing. Right. Meaning like I, I do want to be successful, be good at something or recognizable as, as something. Like I do like that drives me like to be recognized to be not, not necessarily infamous or Recognize famous yourself yeah meaning recon being recognized yeah like a, there is a definitely that external validation but also for me to perceive myself as of worth and of value like meaning which it's i don't know where like how do you measure it meaning there's feeling a certain way and then there's how you're perceived like if so everybody looks like when you walk up and down the street and everybody kind of gives you a cringy face and you don't give any uh, reaction to it. You might have just found out that you had mustard all over your cheek, right? Like and like if you would have re reacted or responded to a degree of what maybe asked, what is it that um, why are you cringing? Like because you have mustard all over your face, uh, like it could be helpful but, but versus turning that voice off and just I don't know. I don't really have a question. I'm just bouncing. Sink, sink into it. When, when your mind wants to go intellectual and escape, stay down in it. Because I'm sure you might have a tendency to move out of it through the intellectual. Mm -hmm. But if you could stay down in it, stay down in the feeling of discomfort of not knowing in that space. You know what I mean by that or not? I, d I know exactly what you mean by it. I feel the need to communicate it, and that already steps it into the intellectual as opposed to uh -huh. yeah. just, yeah. like, shut up. Like, I go to my yeah, therapist. Yeah, it, 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 yeah. I go to, go to my therapist, and he's just like, shut Like, he's like, do you, can you shut up? Like, he literally asked me, can you shut up? <laughs> um, like, um, and I pause, yeah. and I'm like, shit, like, and then like I pause, I pause, I pause, and then I'm like, shit, I don't, I don't think I can stay shut up for another another second. I, there's something else on my mind that I'd like to talk about. And oh then I, I, cr I crack up trying to stay silent. Like I'm like, yeah. yeah. And so and so here's the thing: if you could sink into it long enough, that cracking up and that laughing might actually turn into something else. Got to try it. If you could sit in the tension past the right, if you could identify the sequence of things that happened before you break out of it and push past that, right? You can use the mental there, right? Well, what are the steps? Okay, well, I'm quiet. I can hear my brain saying all the things that it wants to say. And then when that realized, then I realized that doesn't work, it actually goes to a place of kind of cracking up. 
And then eventually it goes to a place of surrender saying, you know what, I'm just going to say something and I laugh about it. Okay. But if you can identify those things and say, no, 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 no. And keep going deeper into that. Okay. Cause that's, that's the pattern that your brain has to not have to go into that. Mm-hmm. And you identify with those things and think they're you, but actually they're just mechanisms to prevent yourself from having to feel. Yeah. Like that, like that laughter is like your first recognition of like, Oh my God, like I've not, I've not done this before. Like, Oh my God, like, wait, am I, am, are my thoughts different? Like, am I really thinking differently? Is this, is this, is this possible? Like are all those thoughts I've had before, are they not true? Is it, is it not real? Like, that's almost like to me like what the laughter means. It's like laughing yourself, like, oh my god, like I'm an idiot, you know, like oh my god, like what have I been thinking? Like wh- what am I doing? And then like you laugh, it's like your first recognition of like whoa, like everything that I've had been thinking about, like it's gonna be okay. Like then you just get and like as Keen's saying, like you know, just get deeper and deeper from laughter, and might come to you know silence, to crying, to different stuff. But like as you go down or up, whichever way you want to look at it, um, you know, you unlock like. I feel like a lot of time is like unlocking parts of us that are already there. We just don't let ourselves go there. Like it's that's there. It. Just, just let yourself and, and go into that moment of being there. That's it. And uh, you know, you know the the phrase, the saying, it goes, "You got to get up to get down." It's the opposite. You got to go, go down to get up. Right. I, what I say is, our capacity to experience joy comes down to our our willingness to go down. Mm-hmm. Right. It's that's like a slingshot, like- man. It's it's a slingshot. Like it's it's something I've talked about before. Like that's so hard for me because like I feel so much of my education has been from the down to up, that now I'm just up. Like I'm just pure optimism, as much as well. Like just pure optimism, never looking at the negative, never looking at the down. Just forward thinking, success thinking, influence thinking. Like that's just like my what I go through. And yeah, and I'm sure like there's things like I definitely like I'm I'm like my way of dealing with I would say stress issues, emotional, physical, whatever it might be. It's always been to open up the rug, sweep it under, close it back down, and move forward on. You know, like it's definitely been more of an as I think I started meditating way more, these things just come up out of nowhere. And I'm like, what? Like I thought I swept that like a year ago. And like, yeah, yeah, dude, you swept it like under the carpet that's it's sitting in your living room. Like your living room's still there, and so is the carpet, and so is all that shit you fucking put right under there. Um like it's 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 fearful because like it's like i've definitely gone to dark places before and i'm like i'm almost scared to get to those dark places again hmm. um but it's it's definitely like that's it pushing through and like i don't know man it's definitely and, and here's the thing too mayor is bro it's it's having someone to be able to help facilitate that for you man like that i have that i've gone through exorcisms myself like deep emotional purges man like deep and now it's incredible because my, my association with it now is one of when I give myself permission to go there, I come up way higher. So when I go into my calls every week, for me, every week I cry. Every week. Every week because I have that relationship with that now. Every time I go down into it, I come higher out of it. And so the more you can practice getting into it, the less scarier it gets, the less scary it gets, and the more you can actually use it to your benefit. Right. And so what does that mean? Well, the hell actually is what? Your heaven. <laughs> right. The I probably should we probably should get be wrapping up soon. But yep. it reminds me of the story of like the kid who says, Mom, there's a there's a there's a dragon in the house. And there's no such thing as dragons. Um and they the kid okay. And then the kid says, Mom, there's a dragon in the house and now the dragon's getting a little bigger. There's no such thing as dragons. 
Um, they sweep it under the rug, sweep it under the rug. Mom, there's a dragon in my room. Like, mom's like, there's no such thing as dragons, honey. Um, till eventually the dragon's so big, it breaks its wings out of the house and flies away with the house. And that's only, only then do you recognize that there are mom. Oh, now I believe in dragons. Um, meaning sweeping things under the carpet, they inevitably just grow and grow. So as far as somebody who is fear motivated, um, or fear sensitive, like that fear of unspoken things of unspoken, like of resentments or whatever it is in my, like with my wife or with friends, like that fear of it getting too big, um, is what I, um, I, I can't keep things in. Like I have a certain like destructiveness, like I meaning I'll get in the argument because it needs to happen. Um, which is a positive trait. Um, it could be a little too intrusive sometimes, but like, because I'm, I, Obviously, I, I like to figure out the aim of what it could look like as opposed to what I don't want it to look like to go in tandem with that. But having the hell like of the dragon flying away with your house, um, which is what will happen, like the whole the whole California forest fire will happen if you don't do the small burns um, like that is the inevitable. Um, so it's yeah. good. Good to absolutely let it out. And also, too, man, like. Dude, you can actually ride the dragon and go for a sick, awesome time with it, right? Like you just if you identify the dragon in the house and you grow it and you raise it, you can ride that thing around and like blow fire all over the place, right? That's the part about it. It's like, it's actually not that scary. And, and we can end on this is that a lot of these things that, that Mary, you mentioned earlier with being like kind of scary because you, if you've been in a dark place before going back to that darkness, your previous association with that was one of very scary. So of course your, your tendency isn't to go back into it, but I don't know if you guys seen the, uh, the uh, monsters Inc where have you guys seen the movie monsters Inc. When I was a where, kid, where so a long time ago, Mike and Sully are, are in a room and you know, they're deathly afraid of the kids, right? It's the door shut and there's like banging and scratching and clawing on the door. And they're like with each other and they're freaking out. They're hiding on the bed. They're like, Oh, what is it? What is it? We're scared. And then they go up to the door, the inch slowly closer and closer. And then they stop and they see the doors, the handles being turned and it turns and it opens. And it's the little, little girl. She goes, kitty. And they're like, ah, and they, and they freak <laughs> out and they're scared and yeah. they run away. Right. And that's a lot of the time what it actually is when we learn to be able to have that kind of relationship with that part of ourselves that feels so scary is that once we get acquainted with it, like I was referring to earlier, it actually, we realize that it's just poof. It's actually nothing. But the fear and scaredness of going into it is what creates this big hype, bigger hype around it. It's like we create our own like fear that's not even there. Like you, we, it's a created fear that we create within ourselves. And once we actually approach it, it's like, oh, that's what it is. But the whole leading to get there, that's like, the process, like we're talking about process to get to one, we said like a process to get to one might be even more pleasurable than getting to that place. It's exactly the same way. The process of getting to the pain that you have to deal with, you know, is probably scarier than the actual thing itself, you know, it kind of works both ways. Absolutely. Awesome. So yeah, I think we should wrap it up. We've made it a little past the two hour mark. Um, so where can, thank you very much for joining Ken, um, taking your time. You. It's very valuable. I've seen your website. Um, uh, I appreciate it a lot, and I hope we can do this again sometime, a little further down the line. 
And yeah, where could where should people look you up if they are the diehards and made it to the end of this podcast and would like to know where to find you? Yeah, uh, this has been awesome, man. I really appreciate you facilitating this space. And I'm excited to see you continue to do this and bring more and more people on and really blossom in this because you're really fucking good at it. So you're welcome. And I wanted to say that. Thank you. I right. really appreciate it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you can find me on my website, keyandloggy.com. I'm sure you'll put the spelling of that in the, in the show notes. <laughs> or you can find me on, uh, on Instagram as well, keyand.loggy. So. Awesome. Thank you. Have a blessed day. Thank you, guys. All right, guys. Thank you, Mayor, for bringing this to, for making this happen. It, mayor, yeah. mayor is why this happened. Like, meaning, I was like, oh, I'll figure it out. I'll make it perfect. It'll all like, like no, like, like no, like. Mayor's like, I have somebody to talk to. You'd have a great conversation, and I'd like to thank you, Mayor, for making this happen. Yeah, thank you. you only ever help you help yourself, my man. Awesome. <laughs> all right, all right, guys. Hey, Mayor. What's up, buddy? I'm playing the regular line. All right. Got it.